welcome to the Empower to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host. And today on the show, we've got a dear friend of ours, Carissa Woodwike, who is going to come and talk to you about um, her perspective as an adoptee. We wanted to ask, uh, during National Adoption Awareness Month, several people in different uh, various places within the adoption conversation. What does adoption mean to them? And Carissa joined us today. And if you've ever listened to Carissa talk before uh, in any setting, you know she is uh, profound. She is honest. She's wise. Um, just a brilliant person. Uh, so enjoyable to be around. So Carissa joined us today. Um, you will not hear me on this show. So today we had... Um, multiple different things going on at the same time for reasons we can share with you later. But uh, Becca McKay and Tana Ottinger took the reins and interviewed Carissa today. And so um, you're going to love that conversation with her. Without any further ado, here she is, Carissa Woodwake. Okay. So excited to be here. And um, it's just the girls today. I mean, we love JD, but JD's not with us. So today we have Carissa. <laughs> is joining us again and she's been on with us a few times one of our fan favorites we love her dear friend so grateful to have you Krista. and becca's here and of, of course i'm tana so we are going to have a conversation as part of our larger series happening right now in the month of november and we did want to take a few minutes and pause and just talk to and about and with and consider the constellation of those involved in adoption. And so um, kind of the question that we'll present to get us started, and then we'll just take the conversation wherever it goes, because we started talking before we hit record, which we can't not do. So um, Krista, I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit about you and what brings you to us today. We can talk a little bit about our history, but the question that you can get to whenever you're ready is when you hear the word adoption, because that's not loaded or anything, um, what comes to mind and sort of where do we want to take the conversation from there? Um, before, like if, if you haven't yet, you may want to hit pause boop, and go, we reshared an episode last week that Carissa and myself and Ashley Mitchell did about this time a year ago, I think. And it was the three parts of the triad. So you may want to go listen to that and then you can jump in with us or just carry on. So Krista, tell us a little bit about yourself and then the word adoption. Okay. Why might we want to talk to you about adoption, Carissa? <laughs> well, because, you know, I have a lot of words swirling around yeah. in my head about yeah. all the things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is so fun to just be with the girls yeah. today. and. I feel so comfortable with that. We don't have to have JD's eyes wondering what, what direction we're going to go. <laughs> JD, we love, we love JD. We love Not JD. today. Um, <laughs> so for those who might be new, my name is Carissa Woodwike. I live um, near Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, we can talk a little bit about the history that I have with Empowered to Connect, but in my daily life, I'm a mom of two. I've got a 14-year-old freshman girl and a 12-year-old uh, middle schooler boy. And so we love them so much. And we love school 7.5 hours a day so much, too. <laughs> Something I'm always known for on these podcasts is naming the both and in life. Right. And so we'll just start right there. Yeah. Um, but I'm 
uh, married to my husband almost 20 years, Matt. And we live a really, I would say, simple life here in West Michigan. We have a culture around us that feels um, very midwestern is that a good word that's a good yep. word midwestern yes. and so all the things that you might think or suppose come with that um so i feel like i am living a life that's really good with my enneagram type that's consistent and thoughtful and routine and at the same time my enneagram four is like get me the heck out of here i was made mm-hmm. for so much more so yep. i'm always balancing that life and i love that i get to be connected to people like you two the people all over the country that help me yeah. add to and expand who i am but also i should say i am a therapist a marriage and family therapist here mostly online since covid which blows me away but um much busier doing that in the last two and a half years and getting to hold space for oh, all the tender hearts that I get to sit with every week. So I love what I do. It's a, it's a, it's a sacred job. So, and then I have little conversations like this. So randomly. I know, I know. I love it. Um, Carissa, why don't we talk about what, what was the context? Why don't we share the context in which you and I met for the first time? And I'm the worst yeah. with dates. So we met, can you do math really quick in your head? How many years ago would it have been? Do you remember what year? Uh, I honestly don't know. So it was the, the first year yeah. of Created for Care, but the second retreat. Yep, that's right. And so we somehow... Yeah. Yeah, found. Um, I co-authored a book with Susan Tebos called "Before You Were Mine," and I think Susan had reached out to Andrea, letting her know so she could let the adoptive moms know that we wrote this book together. And and then she looked at my blog at that time and was like, "Would you come down and speak?" And so I was like, "Sure, that sounds fun." Having zero clue that yeah. there was this big wide world of adoptive moms. That's right. And so- they're hearts and bags and pins and necklaces and beads and tears and mm, eager t-shirts. to learn. Yeah. T-shirts. Yeah. So many t-shirts. That's, that's right. So there was, um, it is no longer, uh, going, but there was a, I don't know the history. Maybe it was like 10 years. I could be exaggerating that, but there was an adoptive mom's retreat in Atlanta called created for care that happened once a year. And then it got so big that Andrea Young, who's also a dear friend of ours and, um, board member, as are you, Krista of empowered to connect. She started created for care with some friends. And so it was, I think that second time, I don't remember that I met you and I'm guessing maybe I heard you speak before we met. Would that make sense to you? Did you speak? And I just sat. Oh, for sure. Cause I don't think we met to actually the tapestry, a tapestry event in Dallas. I don't even remember meeting you at creative for care. Yeah. So here's what's interesting. And we talked about this before we hit record and I would love, I'd love to just take us here for a second. So my experience of you the first time, let's, let's just pretend it was 10 years ago. I don't know the exact date. And you just said it, we were at a conference. There were hundreds of moms there. Um, And, you know, I don't even remember who all had been speaking, but if I'm thinking about this, correct, you were invited to come and speak 
as an adoptee voice to a room of moms. And you can imagine that that kind of that weekend for many of us was a weekend to get away, to exhale, to be together. And we probably did want to talk about the real things. Like, I do think you sort of had this audience of moms, not everybody, but that was sort of ready to talk about the deeper, the deeper waters. And you got up and shared and it was poignant and beautiful. And but you just, you shared about the adoptee heart. And I think the thing I've always loved about you is you extended us an invitation to listen to something that at the time, many of us hadn't had the opportunity to hear. And so I really, I mean, we now have a sweet friendship and I'm so grateful for you, but I do want to name that you were speaking at a time when there, there weren't a lot of voices like yours that were being amplified. Um, you know, a lot's changed since then, even like where social media has changed and grown. So I'd love for you to even talk about your experience of like, how, how was it for you to share? And then even thinking back on that, um, what's that been like? And what did you want to share a little bit about what you told us? If you can remember, you remember? Oh, yes, I do actually remember that first time, you know, just to give a little context. So I was adopted in the 70s in a time and day and age where you did adopt and then you were adopted and then you adapted. And so we didn't talk about really any of that story before we were adopted, except wonder and imagine why I had to be adopted. And so I didn't have the language. I didn't have the practice to talk about what was going on internally. Um, That's probably a lot of that's in my journals back in the day. But anyway, so just fast forward to not having hardly talked about it, except with one mentor in college. And it was more about me and my mom, mom's relationship and how conflicted and challenging that was. And that just kind of catapulted a whole inward journey for me. And so by the time I've gotten to Creative for Care, I had gone through counseling school, um, always had been kind of in ministry, but I had never circled in just an adoption community before. And so when I was invited down there, I think it was, oh, look at this chance to go speak because I spoke here and there and I had zero awareness of the impact of what it would be for the adopted person to come and speak in front of, mm-hmm. I bet there was 500 adopted so. homes there. Yeah. Yep. And so innocently, I got up and just shared this timeline of my story of the events and experiences that just shaped who I was by the age of five months when I was adopted. So I just remember putting all the different people who I was with and then left back and forth for a couple, you know, for multiple people and then left the whole country and everything I saw, tasted, smelled, knew, right? Everything in one day. And I think I remember people saying what one of the hard parts was, was the moment I landed in Chicago O'Hare on that little chart, I drew a balloon saying the adoptive family was celebrating. Mm -hmm. Well, I just had lost everything and everyone I knew. Mm 
And so even right now, as we say that, like I just, I can feel that, that tension, but then growing up in a culture where I only was on the side of the balloon, I was only allowed to look at adoption as a celebration, as a gain, not as a loss in a grieving process. So I think naming that for the moms there um, in a place where you did come to rest and relax. And I remember Andrew always saying, we are here to encourage. <laughs> so, so I didn't realize that me naming yeah. Yeah. that tension was going to initiate grief yeah. in those adoptive moms. And so... <laughs> I think I escaped that retreat quick, but then they invited me back, which is crazy. <laughs> they invited me back. So it was a slow, maybe what, five years, but did we do yeah. that? It was a slow articulation for me of what was inside of me in a way that I wanted those adoptive moms to hear the adoptive heart not tell them what to do or what they should do, but more in that frame of moms, you get to parent your child in ways that help them feel the language we all use now, safe, seen, soothed, and secure. Because we carry so much that we didn't even know that I didn't know at age, whatever that was, 35, six, seven, I was in those years. I didn't even know how much grief I held inside until I was crying all over those stages every year. So I was just someone I think that was able to put language to the adopted person's experience in a way that sure was heavy and hard, but I always wanted to bring the hope in that story that that wasn't the end of the story. Like my loss wasn't the end of the story, but neither was your gain the end of the story. And so how can we together? And I think gradually through those years, realizing that birth parent was missing. And so we gradually included the birth parents voice in those conversations, but how we can't have a full gospel redemptive story if we didn't all do this together and repair and restore and heal together. So we love creative care moms with a bang. And I'm so grateful for what it was for me. And I hope that it was a gift to, to the moms there too. So you said something about like the, the grief process and it's making me think about, um, what, what was happening? I mean, I remember it, Carissa, like what was happening inside of me was I felt like you were naming, you were modeling and naming your own grief. And then in this like really beautiful therapeutic way, because you showed up as who you are, you gave like me as an adoptive mom room to grieve too. that there was like an openness that everybody could come to their honest place. But I, I don't know, like it, I haven't, I haven't thought about those like initial moments when paradigms were shifting. Like, I think that's what was happening. There was something about 
you truly divinely showing up in that moment. I think it was a bit of a boom or a movement or like there was a lot of like adoption conversation and things were happening. And I really do honor and and always have the place and space that you held because you shifted our paradigm. And I don't think we knew how much we needed that. We needed to sit and I say me like needed to sit and be like, oh, okay. So there's grief work here. Oh, for all of us. Yeah. And something about being like a mom, knowing that, that, that there was grief going on in my kids, figuring out how to reconcile that with my own grief that I like needed and got to name was really impactful. What are your thoughts on that? Like that shared place? Cause something shifted, Carissa, it genuinely did. Yeah. Um, I, I, I so trust that. And it was this, this journey that I had to be on because of I would say, you know, we don't always use the word calling anymore, but if part of my invitation to bring forth life in this world is to a therapeutic space, I had to know and find who I was in order to help others find and know who they are and then what we have to offer the world, right? And so in those retreats, it wasn't just the invitation to adoptive parents to go on that journey that if we want to say it succinctly, where that grief would eventually lead to gratitude. I was naming that for us as adoptive persons too, because I know there's lots of adoptees out there who haven't done their own story too. And we get stuck either in just the hard or in that fantasy world of it's only all good. And I wanted to be a voice. I would articulate it this way now. I didn't then, but it's like I wanted, I'll say this. It's like I need to know that none of the good in my adoption story ever took away the hard in my adoption story and vice versa. None of the hard takes away any of the good. And so it was this gradual, I would call it maturity process for me to be able to hold those things in tension because we live in a country and a culture that wants to always be all or nothing, this or that. And for me, my faith journey, I don't believe that Jesus invitation um, is that I'm going to pluck you out of all this hard and only put you in the good. I think it's the hard that creates the beauty of the good. So the words that I used back then was brokenness and beauty. And so just kind of going back to your original question, you know, what is adoption to me? Because I was thinking about that yesterday, (laughs) just yesterday. (laughs) Um, all I kept coming to was adaption for me has has been such a process and an evolution. So I can't land for myself or for anybody to say, here's what adaption is, period. It's here's what adaption is for me in this time, in this moment, dot, dot, dot. 
And I believe that I've had to give myself permission for adoption and its impact. But, you know, adoption isn't even the full word for me. There was the 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 relinquishment or the placement or the whatever you want to call it, uh, how you use it in your story. But like I always say to people who come to me in therapy, your kid's not in having challenges because he or she was adopted. It's because there was relational rupture and loss. And that was one of the things back then that I wanted us to get out that language that we have adoption issues. It is because we had relational rupture and loss early and too early and didn't have the ability, you know, cognitively emotionally to make sense of it. Anyway, so adoption has been an evolving word for me. The community itself has been evolving. I've gone through stages of openly listening. I've gone through stages of correcting. I've gone through stages of invitation. Um, so it's really hard. And, and and I guess, you know, my challenge slash invitation for the listener today would be like to give ourselves permission to keep allowing it to evolve. Because here we are talking ahead of time about what national adapt. National Adoption Awareness Month, you know, it's hard for a lot of us to even, because historically it's supposed to land on the really good things about adoption, right? And so, you know, I'd written a post years ago, probably during the time of creative care, like, here you are, adoption all up in our business again. And it's a name that was slapped on our identity before we even had the understanding of what it meant and what came with it. And we never asked for it, right? None of us asked to be adopted. And technically, <laughs> I know there are kids that want to be adopted. But so, yeah, where I was back in the day to where I am now, it's just evolved. And I'm so grateful for it. And I think, especially mm-hmm. Tana, you have been someone who's we've evolved together. And as we've included all the voices in the triad, as we listen from each other, it's become a fuller and more complex word and everything in it than I think we started it out to be. I think I'm coming to this conversation as a little bit of an outsider, like from the outside looking in to this conversation. And I think what's beautiful about it is you've both hit on identity, how much your identity is brought forth in the way that you talk about anything. And so with this conversation, it's especially um, nuanced because you've got these major, major sources of identity coming into the conversation. And I think, you know, for me, adoption, obviously, like when you're a kid, you hear about it, you know, from whoever, from your neighbors, from other people that you know. So even as someone who has no personal connection, like I had heard of adoption, then I came to Jackson, Tennessee in the South. And then my experience was through the church. And it was the language of there's one less orphan, there's a celebration of this is a picture of Jesus. And so I think it's interesting to have that little bit of like a I was exposed to the conversation you guys are talking about 
in my twenties, like I was a little older. And, and so I just think that's different from people who have grown up surrounded by it or it's in their face. So what I have found to be true when I'm trying to have this conversation with other people is until it affects you personally, there's a little bit of like a, you're making a little bit of a big deal about this. Aren't you like, isn't it, aren't you just like making this a little bit more, like, aren't you just a little bit. And so I think, Thank you both for inviting me to this conversation, even just to witness, because I think that when we, um, one of my favorite, one of my favorite, you know, thought leaders right now is Brian Stevenson. He does a lot of work with criminal justice and he talks about the importance of proximity. And so I just think we can't understand something until he says, until we're proximate, until we get close to it. So my long-winded spiel to say thank you for inviting me to this conversation. And I'm hearing you guys process so much about identity and how that comes into play when we step into this space. I think that's really interesting for sure, because even, you know, we were talking ahead of time a little bit, where am I in the adoption world? And I definitely, after those kind of, you know, eight, probably more years stepped away and not for any um, reason, except I think that part of it was I didn't want adoption to be my identity as a speaker, as a woman, as a, and so I, well, I'll say this, I'll I'll say it's a, the gift was afforded to me slash force of me to have to find who I was before I came into the adoption world. Right. Cause I was like, I don't know, 36, 37, something around there. So it wasn't, wasn't one of, it was just part of the, the circles I stepped into. Right. And so, um, I just didn't want to wear just the adoption hat. Yeah. And so it's interesting that you come from that perspective to see how much of an identity that can be for any part of the triad, I'm sure, even though I think birth parents were definitely quieted and invisible in the triad, but for definitely for adoptive parents and us adoptees, it can be worn as a huge, I mean, people still, I just, I mean, I would say just in the last month, someone introduced me themselves to me and had to tell me they were an adoptive parent. So there's something about that, that, that holds a lot of weight. Yeah, I, I appreciate you sharing that. The word, yeah, the word complexity is what comes to mind when you're like, okay, so we are complex people and the act of adoption, both as an adoptive parent and as an adopted person and as a first parent or birth parent isn't the totality mm-hmm. of yeah. who we are and how we see the world and and how we process things, you know, all, all of that. So I, I wonder if that's part of maybe even Chris, why there was a, a bit of a connection between you and I, because I think we were both trying to figure that out. Right. Like how, well, how do I, how is adoption part? Yeah. I, I understand to some degree why. So there was, um, there was a, you know, a presentation I did a couple years ago and it was my first time talking about the triad together 
And my phrase back in the day was how much we need one another. And so, right, that connection and the healing and, and the repair between the triad, I think, will greatly impact the adoption story. But um, and so when I was writing that, I remember going through each of the different parts and people in the triad and just listing all the identifiers and um, adjectives to describe us. And they came immediately. And so to think about in the, in, in the world around us, and especially in the Christian evangelical world, there are so many notions and beliefs and descriptors for each of the three parts of the triad that that I believe what you're saying, Becca, too, in the church, that's why that was elevated so much because there was so much, um, I can't think of the word, but there's so much weight put on each person. And for sure, you know, well, Tana, I talked about this in the triad conversation that I think you probably yep. played last week of just like the different roles mm-hmm. that we each had. And so those have just been reiterated over and over and over again. So I think it's understandable why we all carry so much identity in that because they were given to us. Yep. So we don't, we're like trying to work to, to but it bring was, out of it I a little bit, right? Going back to going back to one of the things I remember saying in those creative for care days, could we use language that describe where we've come from? not define who we are. And I remember that that was like a powerful thing to say because I don't, I don't even need to go on with that. But I think that that's so important as we continue this conversation, whether it's in November or not, how do we describe the people Mm -hmm. and what they have walked through rather than define who they are because of either what's happened to them or what they've chosen for all the pieces and people in the triad. Okay. So I'm going to talk about something if we can, that I think is relates. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's think about this idea because I talked about a paradigm shift. So let's, you know, go back to that moment when you first took the stage in front of the lot of us. Um, and I mean, I, yeah, we, we, what we wanted after that was a lot of you like, Oh, she's, she's telling us something. <laughs> that no, is right. No, Can I go hide in my room, please? And, Oh, yeah. Um, okay. So it's this, it is about paradigm shifting and changing our mind. And just to highlight, Chrissy, you've even said like, you know, back then you were using some words and we talked about this a couple of episodes with Ashley a little bit about like how we've all changed and grown. And you just said you and I've grown together and, and we have, like, I am 100% impacted by the the privilege and honor of being your friend and just getting to think about things through your eyes. Like you've shaped me. Okay. But paradigm shifting and being change and open to change is like a hard thing for us humans. So I would love for us, I mean, it can be in the context of adoption or not, but I would love for us to just talk about that a little bit. Like what, why is changing our minds so stinking hard? Like, why, why, why is that hard? Why is that so scary? What, 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 what's being asked of us? And we have to be willing to change our mind about something, you know, what are y'all's thoughts on that? 
You want me to take a stab? I trust the two of you. We can do this conversation together because Becca and I, we talk about change a lot. She and I do. We, we, we think about like the theory of change and, you know, what, what has to be in place to feel the courage to change or what hinders us from changing because the, the women, the mamas, to go back to that same example, that were sitting in that audience that were willing to hear you, we had to be open to it. Mm-hmm. What makes us open or what makes us closed to, to change? It's easier for me to think of what makes us closed first. Do that. Do that. says more about me than anything. Yep. Um, but I think change is scary because it um, opens up the idea that we could have been wrong about something. And maybe it's something that we really, really thought we were, you know, we measure ourselves by our intentions. And so when we have what we feel like are good intentions, I think letting ourselves be told, hey, maybe you had good intentions, but this is the impact that is can be scary. That can sting a little bit like that can hurt. And then I think change is hard because it is a little bit, it's like a micro loss. Like whenever you're changing your mind, you're losing something in order to gain something else. And I just think humans are creatures of habit. Like we like things to feel comfortable to us. Whenever you're a baby, like you start to organize the world around you and you start to have these schemas of like, what's what. And so I think asking people to change their minds. It's funny that we talk about change all the time. And I have not thought of this question, but it's like, you're asking someone to reorganize the way that they're thinking about something. And not only is it scary, not only does it come with some loss, but it's also just really hard because our brains are going to go back to that comfortable familiar until we kind of break that habit or cycle or thought process. I don't know. That's some, some of so there's some, a little bit of brain science that's coming up in the way a little bit too, I'm guessing. Right. Hmm. All right, Chris, what's on your mind when you think about it? What comes to mind for you? Well, if I could be the therapist that I really want to be with my clients, okay, I would just get the, figure out how to get them to change. <laughs> I know that's what I'm saying. It's so hard. It's so hard. I do joke around at the beginning of each session. I just say, now, if you just follow these three easy steps, five steps, you can be out of here in three to five sessions, and you're still. <laughs> But then I say, I learned that the human heart and mind don't operate this way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you're exactly right, Becca. All those things, discomfort and that loss and that. And I would even go a step further. So if I have to admit that I didn't have this right, mm-hmm. right, the intention part that you talked about, I think what gets triggered is then shame. Mm-hmm. So if I didn't do this right, then am I a good or bad person? Because I think the theology that many of us grew up with is always connected to, is this going to make me a good or bad person if I do this? So because of the history in the church and adoption, we were told you will are a good Christian, basically, if you give these children a home. So to have to shift that paradigm of that 
I think it just teeters on that question, but here's, you know, just to flip this a little bit. What if instead of asking ourselves, was that the right or wrong thing to do, which makes me a good or bad person? What if we just admitted that was what I knew to do at that moment? And I made the decision that I thought was right for me, for our family at that moment, period. And I give myself permission to to grow and evolve from that place and make the necessary behavior, relational changes that I need to, because now I'm learning. I mean, that phrase we all use, when you know better, do better, it's a powerful statement, but we didn't know better on these things like how we use language or how we parent our children or we didn't know better then and so if there wasn't a space for grace why would we need it and so for all those things where you know i'll just take the adoptive moms at the creative for care retreats like all the moments that they felt guilty or maybe even shameful because of the conversations we were having on that platform that is just like opportunity for grace to just spill into that and that that you get to let yourself off the hook for not knowing what you didn't know. But I do think that change is kind of moving towards something we had talked about earlier. Um, If I can just go into this way, kind of unless maybe if you want me to wait to this, but when I, we just were talking a little earlier as, you know, I've, as I watched the adoption community on social media, um, one of the things we said earlier was that it seems like there are the things being said in this day and age are very, very similar to things that we were talking about 10 years ago at Creative for Care. And we were just having a discussion of why is this information or this or this paradigm still circling around and connecting this to change. The beauty of grace is that we get to be who and where we are, period. And so for me, as someone who was saying a lot of those things and now seeing them repeated either exactly how I said them or with some, some tweaks to it. And sometimes sitting there, honestly, of like, man, we were talking about this 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. It's again, that grace that I have to give myself, Krista, you are exactly where you're supposed to be. And you get to be who and where you are right now. And so does everybody else. So the ability I have to offer myself grace, that I don't have to keep moving and shifting and shedding and paradigm shifting and and maturing, right? Like, because I am an Enneagram one. I'm always looking for where I need to go. So the more grace that I can receive, because I think it's truly given, I don't have to go after it, but it's right here, ready for me. I do believe it just allows me to be softer and kinder to myself, which allows me to be softer and kinder to other people, which could actually, I think, change the world. So yes, it's an interesting phenomenon to see many of the things that we were talking about 10 years ago, but I just say graciously, people weren't all ready to hear those things because they had to get to a place 
where they could allow that loss and that grief. They could allow that shame to surface as they were able to. Um, and they're not all Enneagram eights and ones, Tana, like we are that just like plow through, baby. <laughs> Come on, let's do it. Oh, Carissa, I appreciate you sharing that. And Becca, thank you. I think you helped us really think about change in that way. Yeah. And I, I mean, I really do love to think about change because... I think it, that's my way of like trying to make some sense of even some of my own experiences, right? Because we, we as a family, Mo and I specifically myself, like we've shifted so much and changed yeah. so many of our thoughts and opinions and ideas. And at one point in our context and history and like social space, change was looked at as something that was bad, you shouldn't change, mm. right? Because that was dangerous and scary. And like, so just to grow as a human, I think I'm a little bit fascinated with it. So, and I yeah. hope I still keep growing. Um, so before we close, any additional thoughts? What's on your heart and mind? My last thing, I'm, I wrote it down and it's my takeaway. And then Becca, you could give one and Krista, you can close this out if you've got something. I wrote when you said, if we could all be softer and kinder to ourselves and one another, it might change the world. And I do believe that's true. Um, Becca, do you have any closing thoughts? Uh, I just think my takeaway is I'm just grateful to be invited into some conversations. I think people often want to know how can I know more about, and then fill in the blank with that thing. Um, And I just think you have to humbly show up to places where you're invited. So thank you guys for inviting me to this conversation. Appreciate you. Krista. I loved having you this time, Becca. Uh, um, I probably, I guess I'll just land with what's just been so important for me in this journey, whether we're talking about adoption or just being human on this earth, it is just the permission to keep evolving as you're ready and as you're able. Um, So whether that's in the adoption world and you're saying things and you have an audience, there are people who need your unique, specific spark. Um, And so whoever your audience is, is those of us who try to write um, and share messages, you know, especially on social media, There are people who are listening and who need exactly what you have to offer in this moment. And then there are other people who need the next person's, um, what they have to offer in their message. And so I guess to say, let's not diminish any of what our voice or message or story is at this moment, because like we've been saying, we do need one another. We each bring this unique perspective. I guess my challenge would be, because, you know, I love a good challenge, is to make sure that we're listening to the voices that are not the same as our own. So whether that's the different people in the triad or just different perspectives and views, because I do think that, you know, I was thinking about actually before we met, uh, Richard Moore uses this language about just kind of like the first half of life and the second half of life. The first half of life is about creating this container and 
it is necessary and essential for us to create and craft what that container looks like. And even though it might feel more self-centered or immature or simple-minded, um, we need that in order to know then what we get to fill that container with in the con. So the second half of life, which he would argue very few people get there, but it's worth the journey of then finding and filling that container with the content of what life is really meant to be about. So whether you're in the first half of life and you're creating your container, whether it's around adoption or other issues, that's okay. And that's needed. And then remember you were also made to shift into that space of also filling that container with more depth, with a wider perspective. And that's going to take different people and perspectives to make that so good and so whole. So yeah. Thank you, Carissa. Thank you for being one of those perspectives for us, for our audience, for me personally. Appreciate you and Becca. Ditto to you too. So thank you both for joining us. Appreciate y'all. You're welcome. Well, I did tell you that uh, you're going to love that conversation with Carissa, and I was right. So you know. I always guide you in the right direction. <laughs> um, that's all for our conversation today. Um, we do have more conversations specifically about adoption um, and um, adoptees coming soon. And then a very special series that we have lined up um, to air a little bit later on in the year that you will not want to miss. And so um, all those conversations are going to be happening um, right here on the Empowered to Connect podcast. We're excited for you to hear them, excited for you to be um, with us. For everybody here at Empowered to Connect, for Kyle Wright, who edited and engineers all of our audio for Tad Jewett the creator of the music behind the Empowered to Connect podcast and for everybody here at Empowered to Connect I'm J.D. Wilson and we'll see you next week on the Empowered to Connect podcast bye